0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stinnett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and <clears throat> Drew Stinnett. Today we are going to talk about uh DEIB, which is uh, uh It's a newer acronym that I had not really heard of before. Well, I'd heard of the DEI part. So DEI, diffusion, diffusion. uh, It's going to be a long day, Rochelle.
1: technology in your brain.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think are the usual three things that we think about when we think about uh, DEI. Uh, But the B is for belonging. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, addition. I don't know if you remember like our very first uh, podcast or maybe even our prep for the podcast Rochelle, but I really didn't know the what the differences were between uh diversity equity, and inclusion uh a few years ago. like to me that said, uh, you know, just to me, the dei was be fair to like uh know that it's just not middle aged white men in the uh i t space, even though like the overwhelming majority uh at the time and i think even still currently is uh like middle-aged white men doing like in almost all of the positions which is uh not representative of real life <laughs> like
1: I, I think that there's so many parts of this that we don't cover in deib and b is new belonging is new it wasn't really a part of the original construct of these 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 topics but it has grown into something. And, you know, like a lot of people can't make the distinction between inclusion and belonging, right? So Mm -hmm. so diversity is just being different. Inclusion is being asked to participate. Equity is that you're able to participate fairly. And belonging is that you feel like you are a contributing member of whatever thing you're doing. So do I belong? And Mm so not only... Middle-aged white men, but young white men, older white men. And what's really coming of age now is ageism, right? So we are pushing older people out of the workplace. And that makes sense. But my generation, so I'm a baby boomer. I've told you this a gazillion times. We are aging out. So we were born from 1946 to 1964. So if you think about that, the 1946 people are pretty old. You know, And as you go up that scale, it's older. So what's really so important about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is that we create a world that is sustainable. If you, so and a lot of people will argue with me about this. So white men have always been in charge. They've always been leaders. They've always been innovators and entrepreneurs and all that's true. But look at the failures along our system look at any pick, any part of our war uh, business, they've all had failures for lack of leadership that's different, right? So the military for the longest part with, you know, the GI Bill and all that was established for white men coming out of the military, wasn't for black and brown people who had served. And what they've found now is that when you diversify something, i.e. you make it different, it's more inclusive, it's more equitable, and there is a part of belonging. But belonging means you have to care. So like I can honestly say that I know you care about me. I have said this a million times. When I was at the depths of despair in my health. The one person who came to see me was you. <laughs> the one person. I'm in the hospital. I'm contagious. I have C. diff. And who comes to see me but Drew? So I feel like I belong to you. I feel like we are a community. I belong with you. I don't feel like I have to. Put any kind of facade on to talk to you or in, interact with you i can say whatever i want to say and you care enough about me that you don't judge me by i'm um, this old black woman you know failing memory all these things that you could say you don't judge me and that's what belonging is is to not feel like you are being characterized or portrayed in a way other than what you are you yeah. know and so I belong to you, you belong to me, we belong to another community, we belong to Dan, we belong to a lot of people that we belong to. And so belonging is that place is hardest to overcome in DEI Mm -hmm. because, you know, the the classic phrase, I have black friends, I have brown friends, that's an insult, you know? Mm -hmm. People of color is an insult. So getting people to recognize that you don't have to be overt about your actions, right? You could just simply be interested and present, right? So if I, like I told you before we started our podcast, I had a rough night last night. Mm -hmm. You know, you said kind words, you know, you told me things to do, you know, that's belonging. And getting to that place takes trust and an ability to see people as they are. So you can't say you're colorblind because that's not a true statement. I mean, you might not, emphasize color so much but you do see color you know yeah. So to be fair and caring is hard to do you know in the workplace think about this and I, I can say this factually I cared about doing my job you know I tried my best to care about my employees but really they didn't belong to me and I didn't belong to them so you know in the workplace this belonging thing takes time It takes effort. You know, you have to be cognizant of what you're doing. And then you have to step back and make sure you're not encroaching on your own boundaries, right? So you're not making too much of a sacrifice of yourself for me or for someone else. You have to find a balance between caring about people, doing what's necessary for your life, and and being okay with where they are. So I would guess, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, maybe 10 years ago. You didn't even think about these things, right? You didn't Correct. think about, you know, diversity or, you know, people black and brown people coming in your workplace, women coming in your. You didn't think about it. It was just a thing, it happened, right? And yeah. somehow or another it melded itself into something, but not always to the point where you felt like you belonged to them and they felt like they belonged to you. And that's what we have to work through because if we can cut and tackle that notch, we can tackle equity. Yeah. You know, Inclusion is easy. So every 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 organization, no matter who they are, they can say we're diverse. We have black and brown and women working for us. So that you could check that box off. You can say uh, uh inclusion, the fact that we invited you to a meeting or we included you in an activity, that's inclusion. But equity and belonging are hard to tackle, you mm-hmm. know. So in your in the course of what you have done over your career, what how have you seen DEIB manifest itself?
0: Uh, you know, that's a great question <clears throat> early in my career. So I sort of felt like I just sort of, uh, I guess I personally, like I've always felt like, uh, I never had an issue feeling like I didn't belong, I guess. Like when I entered the workforce, uh, <clears throat> I started like in a very low, not even a IT position, a, uh, position just like answering phones and just sort of stumbled into, uh, doing IT work, uh and the first place i worked for was uh it was very diverse as far as men and women but it was all uh, every single person in there was a a white person which at the time i mean i was young so i guess i didn't think about it a ton but like looking back uh that should have been i think a, a bigger red flag that it was uh as i progressed like through my career and went on to work at like bigger places. Uh, At least to me, it seemed to be that the bigger uh, company or place that I was working was, uh, the more diversity they had. But at the same time, most of the technical jobs were still uh, white men. I think that has changed, at least for me, over the last probably 10 or 15 years, where I feel like the actual workforce is getting uh, slightly more diverse now. I won't say it is solved because it is definitely not solved. Uh, Like there's definitely still the IT workforce does not uh, is not properly represented uh, against like the actual population. Like it is still heavily skewed towards uh, mostly white men. I would say Uh, the thing that has at least changed for me is instead of thinking about it as someone else's problem, uh, thinking about it as like, my problem right like it's not a uh, and we've probably talked about this at other points as well but um, it shouldn't be up to disenfranchised people to drag themselves uh, like out of or drag themselves into the workplace like it should be everyone's problem and that's uh, I feel like that's where I've really grown over the last at least I don't know five ten years or so uh but being aware of it and thinking about it is i i mean i feel like that's a huge piece because or that's at least the first step because if you're not thinking about that and if you're not seeing the inequalities uh then you're contributing to the problem by just continuing to like hire white men right like there's an endless supply of White, Well, I won't say an endless supply, but there's plenty of white men uh, out there that are, e- I won't say easily hireable, but are getting hired everywhere. And the rate at which they're getting hired is not as high or as much higher than for everybody else. And that's like not right. And that's what we, and I don't mean you and I, Richie, or I do mean you and I, but I mean, everybody needs to fix because, I mean, it's just fairness, right? That's where I think a lot of equity is, is making sure everything is fair diversity uh and inclusion and then the hard part which is actually making people feel not making people feel like they belong but making sure people do belong and that was uh, the belonging again like many new terms that's really like uh in our podcast belonging has come up many many times by many many people in ways that i had never really thought about right like we always when we talk to people at uh schools one recurring thing is if there's a, a black person at a school that's predominantly white, they don't feel welcome after they got in. And, you know, that's not on them to fix. That's on everybody else to fix. And uh, I think that's what we really have to do. It's just sort of take responsibility. You know, we see this inequity. The inequity is glaringly obvious when you look at it, right? But we have to not just see it. We have to, like, work to fix it. Uh, and it's hard, but as something that we have to like actively work and actively flex those muscles, right? Because you can't just say, you can't wave a wand and say, okay, now everything, everybody's diverse. Everybody feels like they belong. Like you got to do it and you got to reach out to people.
1: And I agree with you. I, I think the problem though, people have to be willing to do self-introspection, right? So when you look at yourself, you know, and you're sitting down and maybe you're watching something on television or in movies or you're out somewhere and you see people that are different from you
0: mm-hmm.
1: like I have this running joke about Whole Foods so anytime people have earring piercing all up here and in their eyes and I think they must work at Whole Foods
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and I realized that that's not nice you know because I was making a judgment about these people because like you know when you go to Whole Foods you see people with you know, nice fashions in their face and on their person, you know. And so one of the things about this is actually being able to understand what your shortcomings are, right? So what are you not doing? And if all of us, if the entire human population did that, we would have less murders, less wars, less everything, because we would be more in tune to how much our fellow man means to us. So, you know, there's all this talk about climate, and the things that are happening on, on the planet mm-hmm. we're finally paying attention we're not we aren't going at it in gangbusters but we're paying attention what we fail to recognize is like when you apply that anywhere that, that attention that effort dollars time you're more likely to come up with an outcome human beings you know and i i often think this and i think this when i'm sitting back thinking about diversity. Is there a white handbook that they give all white people when they're born? Soon as they come out of the womb, they hand you this handbook. And here's how you treat black people. Here's how you treat these people. Here's how you treat women. You know, is there that handbook or something? And I realize how silly that thought is, but like, how can a whole population of people be in sync around the same things, right? So we talk about IT. So more and more women are becoming CIOs and leaders in IT. But if you look at it comparatively, like someplace I just recently worked, the current CIO makes at least $150,000 less than the male CIO who had been in that job. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And when you think about that, and so we're talking about a white man and a white woman. So it's all white. It's not like you have to think, but for some reason we can't pay women equitably. We don't promote women equitably. We push women out as they get older. If they decide to be out for childbearing and childcare, we put a stigma on that. You know, you get a little dot in your file, you know, that, you know, you've been away, you know. Equity and inclusion happens within us being willing to see outwardly, right? So it's not a matter of coming to the rescue. It's a matter of being human. And being human is hard, right? Because we have fears, right? I mean, think about this. If you were walking down the street, you know, in another neighborhood, you didn't know. And a bunch of kids that you're not familiar with were walking towards you. And then you turn to walk away and they start following you. So we develop an inherent fear about things like that. And so that helps us judge others, right? So, you know, like you can say, well, you know, I'm not messing with black people because they're prone to crime that's an untrue statement. We are as criminally active as any other group and by a large margin, more white people commit crimes than all the black and brown people combined. Mm -hmm. It's just our crimes are accelerated. So that helps feed that fear, right? So if you believe that black people are just randomly violent and all this stuff and they're just out there, the ability to see them equitably is harder because you see them criminally first you know so like this is what i've been told i was talking to someone yesterday about this you know so when you think about welfare majority of people on the planet think black people are the majority of welfare recipients where we are not you know by a large margin we are not but that's how it's been portrayed so it allows that fear to further develop so you know these are good for nothing people so why would i hire this black person you know they don't work really hard they're not really smart you know and so we have to break down that barrier first. And it's, it can't be, it's not a group thing. You can't bring a whole group of people and try to force feed them something. They have to make that acknowledgement of their own. And I think what you said, you know, 10, 15 years, you have been growing your acknowledgement. You have been growing your humanity. So you are able to see people. You might not invite them to your house. You might not go out and play a game with them, but at least you see them as human. Like you are, you don't see them as an adversary, you don't see them as someone who's going to hurt you. So that part is the hardest part. And so how did you get to the place where you did you consciously do some introspection and think about yourself or think about how you saw people? Or was it just in the interactions with people you learned to feel more comfortable?
0: Uh, For me, at least it was a combination. So there's a build, I would say there's like a rising tide of sort of the realization of like not just that DEI and B are important, but like how important they are. And that level of importance went from, I mean, it really has shot through the roof. I would say starting in 2020 with the murder of George Floyd, like that, at least for me, that was the real turning point where, you know, that happened. It was in the news, of course. uh, And I'm seeing posts about it in my like social media feeds, Uh, but I, hit this realization where like I listened to a lot of podcasts and especially when we were going like into the office in person uh, I was listening to even more podcasts and the podcast I was listening to they didn't really acknowledge anything about George Floyd they uh you know there would be like a brief blurb and then they would just sort of move on and there was something just like something gets stuck in your head and it's like why is the stuff that I'm listening to not treating this like as importantly as it should and then it sort of dawned on me like well Drew like you're just listening to a bunch of stuff that really isn't interested in George Floyd, like, unfortunately. And uh, to really, I'll tell you what the one show was that uh, really hit the nail on the head for me. And that was, uh, do you ever listen to The Breakfast Club? It's like a radio show.
1: Yeah. uh, Charlemagne the God or something like that. Yep.
0: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Charlemagne the God.
1: Every once in a while. Yeah.
0: And they have like, I mean, there are music, morning show like they have uh, a lot of uh, like hip hop artists and rappers on and it's it's a it's a great like morning show but I just never really listened to it and then around the time of the George Floyd murder I was like I should listen to that and see what they're saying about it because they probably like this radio show probably has a much different perspective than uh, you know a tech podcast that I'm listening to and you know what they absolutely did and it was completely eye-opening listen listening not just to them talk about it and sort of how you know, not only how awful it is, but how it happens all the time. And then hearing their listeners call in, uh, some angry, uh, some sad, but whether they were angry or sad, like they were all in tears and like properly. So like, that's the appropriate reaction. Uh, and I, I I mean, that, that sort of where things clicked for me was like, Hey, like this thing that I've just sort of been aware of, you know, sort of off to the side of my main life, like, it has this huge impact, and that's an, it's an impact that I was not really thinking about uh, the majority of the time. And then, like, that's a Drew problem, right? Like, that's not a problem of the world. That's the problem that Drew is just sitting around <laughs> listening to is the same, you know, people he's listened to for the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, and it's time to, like, branch out and hear different perspectives. And just hearing those different perspectives really... Uh, I guess I'd say like straightened things out for me or made like the, it made the whole situation much more real than just hearing these little blurbs on, you know, the news every now and then.
1: Yeah. And so two things, one of the things about names and lately people have started talking about their government name. We're going to talk about that on one of these podcasts, (laughs) but, but, but names, right. So let's just say, um, you go to, um, you go to work and there's a new person at your job and you shake hands or say hello, whatever it is. And then we call them a name. Mm-hmm. I always ask, what can I call you? What, how do you want to be recognized? Mm-hmm. Because like Mr. Floyd, and, and I never call him by his first name because I didn't know him, yeah. you know, the crime that happened to him was so beyond words, you know, it's just absolutely terrible, you know, but that we made ourselves comfortable with him. You know, it's, that's where a lot of white people gain some conceptual ideas about diversity and how we're seen in the criminal world. But, but go back a few years. Remember Trayvon Martin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was killed by a citizen in his in his neighborhood, I guess, you know, doing some kind of citizen patrol. We did not find that offensive. You know, here's this young boy going to the store to get some Skittles skittles Mm -hmm. and he loses his life he has no gun he has no weapon he has on a hoodie yeah and what's really amazing is to see white people wear hoodies these days because at the time only black people wore hoodies with any kind of sports players but you know really it was the outfit of black urban kids right Mm -hmm. so we didn't get upset about the murder of Trayvon Martin. What's the difference between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd? Time. COVID hit during the middle of George Floyd's murder. So we were forced to sit at home and yeah. dated by TV and dated by streaming, all of these things. So we, it almost like it had a captive audience, right? People who are forced to think about this, right? Yeah. But there have been way more tragic things happening than the death of Mr. Floyd. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone associated with Mr. Floyd and his family, mm-hmm. but James Blake in Texas put to the back of a truck and drug until his head separated from his body. Why were we outraged about that? Yeah. Because we expect or accept that that's just, a, they were doing something wrong, it had to be them. The guy who got shot running through the housing neighborhood had to be doing something wrong. We weren't bothered by it. Yeah, Mr. Floyd was just inundated with us. We, we we you couldn't escape. It was everywhere. I think that what's really interesting going forward with this is like we can't afford to have very many more Mr. Floyd's. I mean, we yeah. just can We we just cannot have that, or Mr. Blake, or young Trayvon Martin. We we just cannot. But it's going to take it. I said this to someone yesterday. Black people would still be enslaved were it not for white people. Chinese people would not be freed from their encampment were it not for white people. So you can't make this universal statement that all white people are bad. They are not. Some white people just are more human than others, right? If the only thing we care about is what's in our space, people in our house, the people we work with, the people we... We have a very small world. The world is huge. eight Eight billion people today. And we know very little about each other. We have conceptual not information. Like Russia is a known enemy. You know, it's just awful. You know, China, they make cheap goods, right? India, you know, you've got all of these things that we say about, but we haven't made an attempt to know that. I have friends across every spectrum, Chinese Japan, Japanese, Vietnamese, Cambodian, whatever it is, they're all human beings. And that's all I see them as human beings. I don't look at them and say, oh my God, her hair's so black and mine is so white or her is so straight and mine is not. I just see a beautiful person sitting across from me that I should take time to get to know. You know, everybody that comes on this podcast or I do my diversity test, I get to know them before I invite them to talk with me. You know, I want to figure out who they are. And most of those things have turned into long-lasting relationships. It's just you have to be willing to put forth the effort. Those beliefs that you have about things, you should investigate. Are they supporting you? Are they doing what's best for you? You know, if you're, you know, I'm trying to develop this board. You know, I can't do that by myself. I need people whose brains are bigger than mine. I need people who think outside the box differently than I do. So, You get better results when you're inclusive as opposed to being exclusive or, you know, I don't want this person in my neighborhood. I don't want this person in my car. I don't want this person in my workplace. You know, we have to be able to see people as human and give them the benefit of the doubt until they no longer earn it. Now you have a right to dispense anybody from your life who is not helping you do better. And that's not necessarily mean financially or emotionally. It just means somebody is in your corner an advocate, somebody who's there for you, someone who, whatever harebrained idea you come up with, I come up with a lot, you know, that person <laughs> doesn't say, hey, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. The, the response is more often, let's see if we can make that happen. It might not be simple, but let's see. If we, and that's what we need to make our world better is people who are willing to do that, you know, to support each other, you know, and their harebrained ideas, you know, but again, if every time I talk to you, Drew, I have a harebrained idea, it might be taxing. So you got to say, Rochelle, I can't do this anymore. You know, you need to stop coming up with all these crazy ideas. You you have to say no when you know it's no, right? When it's not serving you, when it's not good for you. It's, it's too taxing. It requires you to think. Whatever it is, you have a right to say this, but you don't have a right to say that universally.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Rochelle, how did you get to the point where uh, you became, like, Uh, I would say you uh, are a very accepting person of like all races and genders. Like, was it was there a moment in time for you that you remember where something like clicked uh, and made you that way? Or was it a more gradual process?
1: I think I was working for Chase Manhattan in New York and my boss, I was a project manager. My boss was an Italian guy and he was a dark skinned Italian guy. Very, very smart. I mean like Dan Smart, like mm-hmm. Dan Cantrell is brilliant, like that, brilliant guy, you know. But he worked for a white man who did not see him at all. He was just as far as he was was a black man. Hmm. And uh he was my boss, you know, and he was tough. He was taxing, you know, he wanted but what I came to know about him is that his full potential hadn't been reached because he hadn't been accepted. He didn't belong. So That was my key because eventually he and I became very good friends. I stayed in touch with him until he died, you know, very, very good friends. And he exposed me to hope like Chinese people who he had worked with or did stuff, things, you know, all kinds of people he exposed me to. And what's really profound about that was like as a black woman, I experienced and I still to this day experience discrimination and racism. He saw me. He didn't see a black woman at the time. I was standing, I had long hair, I was very pretty. He didn't see me as any of that. He saw me as smart. Yeah. And that's what the key was, was someone seeing me help me see others. And then once I saw myself and he saw me, I started seeing the plight of black and brown people in the workplace, black and brown people in school, black and brown people at play. Because we cannot make the, and I should say this, women too, I am a huge fan of a lot of white women. I think that they are amazing people. And I meet new ones almost every day. But I, I I, take each person and I look at them and I say, hey, in this discussion I'm having with you, are you human? And it's just simply that much, you know, are you human? So, you know, pleasantries, you know, hey, I'll call you later. Or I'll see. you. And that's what really got me to where I am today, where no prejudice, no bias, but I say to what I said earlier, you know, I don't allow people just to say or do anything to me, you know, like, you know, I might have to exclude you out of my life. You know, I have some people that are really, really hard fought racist and they're black. You know, they don't believe anything good. Like, you know, anything white ain't right. That's, you know, constant refrain. That's wrong you know, that's not right. And so sometimes I have to exclude those people from my life. I can't take that. I can't hear that rhetoric over and over and over again, you know, because if you make that generalization, literally you have nothing, you know, you know, you don't have white paper towels, you know, white rice, You know, all these things just white. If you exclude them, then what, you know, so you have to take people as they come.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a a great piece of advice, and I think that's a good thing that our listeners can take away as well. Like, you don't need this, like, you know, ray coming down from God piece of clarity to like get you moving in the right direction. Like, it's just seeing people as people uh, sounds very easy to do, but I think a lot of people just don't.
1: They don't because you your fears drive you. But you know, I think Drew, like I told the guy yesterday this work probably won't be done in my lifetime. You know, just like climate uh correction. I don't want to say yeah. climate change, but to fix the climate. Not in my lifetime. And you know, I I get it. I'm on the closer to the grave than I am to the crib, you know, and I get that. But you know, this is something humanity should be working at. You know, you know, we're rising t- tensions with China. Rising tensions with Russia. You know, we if we just came back, if we just step back a little bit, and said, hey, great country. Glad you have all of that. Maybe we can partner. And, yeah. and you'll find ways to be more unified and to see each other as humans as opposed to, you know, you look at anything and there's this large group of white men standing around. And that's intimidating to try to break into that group, you know, to intimidating oh, yeah. to try to get people to allow you to participate in whatever it is. And so China, although they don't admit it, there are brown countries. Or, you know, you can come up with some of them other colors, but brown, more more. And so think about why we would want that. Why we as a society that has been historically designed to have white people lead and, and change the game, why would you want to be friends with China? Yeah. You know, Russia is harder because Russia, mostly white, just like they are. But, you know, the problem just is we can't see people as humans. And I think that if we could figure that out, just figure it out one person at a time, you know, the most difficult person you deal with. Can I I break through? And if you can break through, you can change the world one person at a time.
0: Yeah. I I think that's an excellent point. And uh, we're about time. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up, but thank you everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed the talk today. Uh, We'll be back next week, but if you have any questions or anything for us, just send us an email to eminentteachnology at gmail.com, and we will talk to you all soon.